Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to episode 238 of the Naturally Nourished Podcast. You are joining us for Coping with Keto Flu. So in this episode, we are going to be discussing a common phenomenon that happens when first getting into keto or maybe you're getting back into keto after a break and ways to support your body to lessen the impact. And then in the second half of our episode, we will be answering a few listener questions rapid fire style. Yeah. So a lot of content uh, in the end there. So make sure you stay tuned through the entire episode. As far as updates, we are wrapping up now the next level keto, which is our second level. This is our first round of doing a next level keto program. It's been so much fun. We had our active participants actually put CGMs on all together. And so we've been navigating and toggling results there, uh, talking a lot more about meal plans, balancing your flavors, just a lot of, I guess, tangible, right, Becky, kind of real life scenario stuff. So keep an eye open. We probably will do another one of these in the fall. So probably kind of in between the next start of our final keto program, our 12-week program for the year. And for those of you listening, this upcoming week, we are launching the 12-week Food as Medicine Keto Program for May. So make sure that you don't wait until, you know, September, October to jump in. Capitalize on the end of the spring into the summer, feeling the best you've felt in your body again. Um, so this is a 12-week Food as Medicine Ketosis course. This is six classes. Each class is 90 minutes in length. We cover how to get into ketosis, ways to assess your ketone levels, ways to, of course, also cope with keto flu and make it a more successful process, as well as getting sustainable results. And we work with you during the entire three months to really understand how carbs work to support your body specifically. So we have these three phases, phase one, phase 1.5, and phase two of our protocol. And then we have also different tiers of our protocol. The phases are broken down based on the density of carbohydrate and the distribution of macros. So phase one being the tightest, kind of more of a classical keto, 1.5, starting to explore metabolic flexibility. And phase two being more of just a low glycemic diet that might kick some out of ketosis or be used for carb cycling for hormone balance. And we teach all of our members how to understand when these phases are best used, how to assess within their own body and their results what works best for them. And we also have protocols to layer in within these phases. So we have a weight loss fast track, we have a steady and sustain, and we have a heal, maintain, and gain. So whether you are looking for more than 50 pounds of weight loss or whether you are looking to just make some composition change or lose that extra 10 pounds or whether you're looking to gain weight after maybe a Crohn's flare or cancer treatment, 
We have a protocol that will fit everyone, including breastfeeding mamas, including pregnancy. What are the other main frequent needs that we get asked about? Can this program work for me? Adrenal fatigue, yes. Hashimoto's, or just thyroid dysfunction in general. Um, I think those are the big ones. Yeah, so I, th- I think what makes our program really unique is that we level in beyond a food as medicine, real food approach with building food as medicine goals throughout the protocol, which is really cool. Um, we also take everything in the constructs of functional medicine. So there are just not a lot of keto programs out there that are led by functional medicine practitioners that are able to speak to lab values, the impact, like you said, Becky, on thyroid and hormone and adrenals or sex hormone, estrogen dominance, and so much more. In the functional medicine space, we actually lead all six classes with different topics. So we hit on what we just discussed, as well as dysbiosis and leaky gut. We talk about cardiometabolic health and even you know demystifying cholesterol and understanding health markers that are higher risk. What are other things we hit on? We talk detox, we talk neurological conditions. So if we're doing seizure management or um, epilepsy control with our keto, if we're looking for, you know, uh, Parkinson's or Alzheimer's support, even with the neurological stuff, we talk genetic SNPs a little bit, even Mm -hmm. getting into some of that like deep dive nerdy stuff, because you guys know, like we couldn't not, (laughs) we have to get nerdy with it for sure. So if you love the Naturally Nourished podcast, or you're even a new listener, but you're kind of digging on what we have to offer, the 12-week Food is Medicine Virtual Ketosis Program is a necessity. Make sure you just pause right now, go on over, add it to your cart. It's not too late to sign up, and we can't wait to work with you. The last thing I want to say on the program to consider is the discount. So maybe you can share that end, Becky. Yeah, so all participants of our program during the whole program will get a special discount code toward supplement purchases so you're saving on your individual supplement purchases throughout the program so really good time to like try on a new formula especially as we go through each class and each class will have between three and maybe five supplements of focus Um, so really good time to kind of try those on and get some savings there and then we also have lab discounts uh, between $50 and all the way up to 100, $250, excuse me, on our MRT food sensitivity panel, which right there, that's almost the cost of the program, honestly. Which the program is $299, yep. so yep. less than $100 a month for the commitment. And so you could look at it like $50 a class. Uh, and then you do also get uh, one-on-one, well, direct engagement, not one-on-one, I guess, but direct engagement through our Slack channel. So we don't use social media as our conversation space. We use Slack and that's where all members will be able to note questions on their macros, or maybe they had a lab run and they're confused, or they have a question on what supplement would be more appropriate. And Becky and I directly monitor that as well. Yes. And you can even post your macros there. We've been doing a lot of fun exploration with our next level keto members that I think will transfer over to this keto program. Awesome. So it is filling up. Uh, definitely go on over to AllieMillerRD.com and go grab a place under a books and programs tab, uh, or you can just put in AllieMillerRD.com slash ketosis hyphen class and be sure to grab a spot. It starts class one, May 5th. And if you're hearing this a little bit post-dated, we allow people to sign up all the way through the end of the month of May. So if is there 31 days in May? I don't even know. But whatever the last day of May is, is the deadline. 
I'm trying to figure it out now, but um. don't waste the brain space. <laughs> we have calendars for that. I was about to do the rhyme for you guys. Yep. Um, all right. And then before we dive into things for today, let's just have a quick word for our sponsor for this podcast, Fond Bone Broth. Yes. Y'all know that we love Fond Bone Broth. They are truly artisan, sustainable, and functional bone broths. So as if bone broth wasn't amazing enough in its benefits of providing collagen, gelatin, glutamine, and N-acetylcysteine, all of these superstar nutrients of highlight to support connective tissue. So we're talking hair, skin, and nails. Someone asked a question about postpartum hair loss. You know, bone broth would be a huge recommendation there. Uh, we're also looking at its benefit to be like a facelift for the gut. So that gut integrity or protecting and repairing leaky gut Bone broth is a really powerful tool there as well. And then that N-acetylcysteine, a dynamic building block along with glycine, also found in bone broth to help to support glutathione, that master antioxidant. And I've seen now clinically individuals that up or regularly consume their bone broth are seeing their homocysteine levels coming down, which is a marker of cardiovascular inflammation. So that glycine and NAC do help to regulate inflammation in the body and also also reduce oxidative stress by giving a boost of antioxidants. Also great tool for bone and joint health. So as we're aging or intensive exercise, very therapeutic. Now what sets Fond apart from many of the store-bought options is that they are slow simmered and lovingly tendered from simmer to seal. They use stainless steel vats as their cooking uh, materials, so non-toxic cooking. They bottle in glass jars. They use well water that has naturally occurring minerals but is tested daily for excellence. So a lot of commercial bone broth companies out there use tap water, which yep. has a lot of contaminants as we covered a couple episodes back in the common sources of toxins. So that's a big thing I think that's important to note. And then they make it sustainable as well as nutritionally dense by par partnering with organic farmers. So they use local produce, um, always free-range, cage-free chickens, grass-fed beef bones, which are going to be coming soon. And then they take it even next level to make like health elixir flavor profiles, which have functional synergy. So every ingredient is going to be hand-picked and paired to optimize the absorption of nutrients and the taste. And Fond Bone Broth is the one bone broth that I have won over hundreds of, if not thousands of at this point, clients that say that they don't like hot meat juice because the brightness of flavor and the complexity of flavor really makes fond bone broth something that is enjoyable to sip and also to consider as like a sous chef in a jar. So a way to really elevate the dishes that you're making by adding complex flavor profiles to like braised greens or something like that. So go on over to fondbonebroth.com slash AllieMillerRD or make sure you put in AllieMillerRD at checkout to add savings to your order and always to let them know that you learned about them from the Naturally Nourished podcast. Yes, and such a great tool on today's topic of keto flu we'll get into how bone broth can be supportive but I feel like having a case of fond on hand when you're starting off a keto program or keto journey or getting reset or doing our 10-day detox I just came off of mine and used a ton of fond bone broth during that in cooking and all of the things awesome all right so let's get into it for today um what exactly is keto flu Allie what does this mean yeah so it 
occurs in the transition to a very low carbohydrate or ketogenic diet. And, you know, I think the first thing that we have to think about is when we're eating carbohydrates, that carbohydrates hold water in our body. Um, And so, you know, glycogen, which is our glucose storage in the body, holds fluid within it. And when we are reducing our carbohydrate intake, we then metabolize the glycogen stores and then start to produce ketones. And so in this transition of our body's storage of fluid, we can often get a dynamic dehydration, which can then throw off mineral balance in the body. And we can see some mild to moderate, I would say for sure, depending on the individual side effects that are temporary once you're successfully producing ketones and once you especially follow our tips to regulate but it's the body adjusting from running on carbohydrates to losing that water and said electrolytes and and getting some mineral imbalance within that and this occurs when you're shifting from glucose as the primary fuel to using ketones as the primary fuel so as becky said you know it's either those of you that are getting right into nutritional ketosis as a new diet approach or you've kicked yourself out of keto and now you're trying to get back in um, a lot of times i've heard from clients you know the the wrath if you will of falling out of keto both from the yuck in our joints or our digestive tract or the headaches that we can get from blood sugar surges as well as the wrath of going back through keto flu is enough to stay kind of i don't like the word compliance necessarily but to stay to stay on plan and keep themselves into a nutritional ketosis and in, instead of falling off plan finding ways to navigate within a real food keto approach totally and it's all about that feedback of the body and i feel like every time that happens you kind of come in a little bit tighter on the back end yeah um so i'm hearing electrolyte instability as kind of the big one here um what about dynamics of insulin levels um because i think that can also play a role into who experiences keto flu um, and kind of, you know, some people breeze through it with ease and some people have a really rough time. Yeah. So let's hit the electrolytes a little further and then we'll go into insulin. So, you know, the big picture is this is temporary again. And so I want to note that the benefits of ketosis greatly outweigh the short-term impact of keto flu. Um, But again, following the tips that we'll share with you guys, you can even bypass the keto flu altogether. The benefits of ketosis, of course, are blood sugar balance, bringing your, your baseline fasted insulin level down, right? Because we know that insulin resistance or hyperinsulinemia, elevated insulin levels, often precede type 2 diabetes. So in that pre-diabetes world, we'll see insulin levels coming up. And insulin not only tells the body to take in glucose, but when we're consuming excessive carbohydrates, that insulin also tells the body to store excessive body fat. And it's a pro-inflammatory hormone. So it is important to want to bring that insulin level down, um, bring that blood sugar level down, of course, by not eating the carbohydrates that are spiking. And with that, we see favorable body composition change, more sustainable weight loss because ketosis is going to maintain your resting metabolic rate and your muscle mass. Generally with ketosis, we see an improved cognitive function and very favorable hormonal as well as anti-inflammatory effects. So I just want to note that because it's been a while since we talked about the benefit of ketosis before we go into the what could happen Um, and so then in the world of electrolyte instability you know like i said 
Uh, every gram of carb that we store in the body in the form of glycogen has three grams of water bound to it. Um, so this is where that whooshing effect we can see with the initial weight loss, your first week of tight nutritional ketosis. You can easily see five to seven pounds of weight loss on the scale. And some of that could be, you know, a liter of water is 2.2 pounds. Um, and so these various uh, shifts of these liters of fluid as well that are lost with the glycogen stores are going to cause a flushing of weight. Um, but we can also see these osmotic shifts in the body that can throw off electrolytes. So we can see muscle cramps. We can see insatiable thirst. We can see headaches, which can get somewhat severe. And then we can also see bowel irregularity because the colon is the primary area for electrolyte absorption or reabsorption and, and regulation. Remember, the kidneys and the colon are your two primary areas where electrolyte stability is regulated. Um, and so that whoosh that we get on the scale, which can be exciting to see, um, we want to compensate by drinking more fluids to prevent the dehydration, but also ensuring that by drinking more fluids, we don't further contribute to electrolyte dilution. So you whoosh the water that removes the electrolyte stability. And then if you just drink plain water, then you could actually go more hyponatremic or clinical term for low sodium or hypokalemia, low potassium. Um, and so we can see low sodium, potassium, and magnesium if we follow up with just chugging straight up water and we're not watching those electrolytes. And the electrolytes are so important, not just for the muscle um, tremors or cramps or charley horses and the headaches we also know for blood pressure balance so this can play a big role in feeling like dizzy or woozy if we're having instability with our blood pressure um, and then we can also see a big impact even on our neurological health and metabolic influence in the body so this can be a really important piece of the puzzle just electrolytes alone and um, I would say, especially if you're an individual that decides to do two to three healthy things at once, which mm -hmm. we see all too often, right, mm -hmm. Becky? Yep. <laughs> That's what we always say as like our mantra in the program, like trust the plan, let your diet lead as the main change for at least two weeks so your body can calibrate. Please don't jump into an infrared sauna as a new tactic. Please don't start HIIT training or a boot camp or you know a new intensive exercise um, program in these first two weeks. Once you become fat adapted and you're you're you know into production of ketones and you're out of this space of these recalibration shifts in your body, like week four plus into your keto approach, that's the time to then layer on some of the lifestyle habits. All right, and we'll get to some tricks and food as medicine for balancing electrolytes in a moment here. Um, what about the influence of uh, fluctuation of glucose and insulin levels? Yeah, so like I said, you know, glucose follows carbohydrate intake and insulin follows the stimulation from glucose spikes. So if you are someone that had insulin resistance, um, that means that you have, generally speaking, excessive insulin. And because of body fat composition, your insulin receptors are not um, accepting that insulin hormone as uh, well as an optimal, you know, someone that doesn't have insulin resistance per se. So there's some resistance to that key and lock mechanism of insulin and the insulin receptor. So that individual is likely going to have excessive insulin levels. Um, you know, what we see is 
when the insulin levels go down because of the lack of the stimulus of the carbohydrate consumption, that the lower insulin levels are what signal the liver to make ketones. Remember, we think of the insulin coming down as also one of these tools of like intermittent fasting, and that's what unlocks, we say, the deep freezer of body fat access. So when you get this stimulation of body fat storage to come down, and the insulin levels get, I, I like in a blood lab, insulin levels fasted to be below eight. And you know, someone might be starting at 32 and then tacking their way down. But as their body appreciably sees a reduction in insulin, then the liver says, okay, this person is not overfed anymore. Now it's time to produce ketones. And again, you know, ketones are this alternative fuel source of energy as opposed to glucose. And the body uses fat in the production of ketones via the liver. Um, and it's important to also note that the liver is also the primary gland um, that responds to production of glucose. So in the process of gluconeogenesis, or making glucose out of non-carbohydrate energy substrates, so the body's ability to make glucose out of um, just calories, regardless of carbs, right? Um, that liver then shifts gears from instead of saying, oh, blood sugar's going down, dump glucose, the, the body says, oh, blood sugar's staying down, insulin's staying down. I need to shift gears and instead of dump glucose into the bloodstream, I need to start dumping and producing ketones. And the pancreas also has a varying effect where instead of pumping out as much glucagon, which is the hormone that regulates a signal to make that gluconeogenesis, that glucagon um, impact reduces as well. And, and, and so the pancreas makes both glucagon and insulin the hormones that then tell the liver what kind of fuel to make. Got it. So in some individuals with maybe a higher level of insulin resistance, they're running into this kind of like, we don't know how to make the right fuel kind of thing. We're just kind of bonking and bottoming out. Um, and we'll talk a little bit more about enhancing ketone production in a moment here too. Yeah. And I think it's worth noting the emphasis on the liver here as the main producer that um, we've seen time and time again, and just emphasizing for those of you that don't take advantage of our 12-week food as medicine ketosis program. Um, if your liver enzymes are elevated, um, so if you have an elevated ALT or AST, or if you um, are drinking too much alcohol, or you know you have some level of um, fatty liver or liver insufficiency, it would absolutely behoove you to support your liver even for a couple weeks prior to keto, um, wouldn't you agree? Because your liver is going to do a better job. In fact, we often see people that do our 10-day detox, um, you know, not change. I mean, of course, they're changing their diet by eating more detox-supportive foods, and they're getting that milk thistle seed. They're getting the NAC, all these supportive nutrients in our detox packs. And they're like, oh my gosh, I'm all of a sudden producing ketones. So I just want to note that in this section um, as well. Yeah, that's often a troubleshoot I'll do with my clients of like bringing in a detox pack and then monitoring them either on a CGM or doing the finger stick um, glucose and, and ketones. Yeah. All right. So why do some people have keto flu um, when they transition and others like breeze through it with ease? So it really depends on your start point. So if you're someone that's eating, obviously, 300 plus grams of carbs a day, which is very common in the standard American diet, even upwards I've seen of 500 grams of carbs a day, 
dropping down to 30 grams a day is, you know, a, a 10 or 20th of where your base is at. So those individuals with higher carb intake, generally speaking, are going to have a more dr- drastic keto flu. And I recommend generally kind of getting into a paleo approach to eating prior to tight keto for that reason. So you're at least taking a stair step, maybe down to 150 grams of carbs and then dropping to that 30 grams of carbs. So we're not taking as dynamic of a cliff. Um, So there's the intake in the diet, then there's the body composition and level of insulin resistance. So individuals that have higher body fat as well as higher um, insulin levels especially are going to have a little bit more of a transition because their body, their pancreas is used to pushing out insulin, you know, they're not used to pushing out glucagon, they're not used to... um, really doing much with that liver as far as gluconeogenesis if they're overfed, Um, but the the liver has to shift gears to ketone production. So we can see that with the insulin resistance piece. And then again, I would reemphasize individuals that have liver issues, as well as individuals that are intensive athletes or already at risk for electrolyte instability. So individuals with adrenal fatigue, I would call out because they already have that uh, tendency towards low sodium status. Um, all of these things are worth taking into account. Yeah, that was a big one I was going to mention. If you didn't, um, the adrenal fatigue piece for myself when I transition back to keto, if I've had a break, I notice especially the um, blood pressure shifts, like standing up from the couch or getting up from the floor. I'm getting that little bit of dizziness. And tunnel my go-to is vision yeah, tunnel vision or, a little bit. Um, and my go-to is always, oh, I need more salt. Um, and I need to make sure I'm also supporting my adrenals through this process. Yeah, so both the adrenal support glandular, Mm -hmm. the adaptogen boost, of course, to regulate the adrenal so they aren't so stressed by things, and then the salt, which we'll talk salty stuff in a moment. Yes, Um, so I mentioned the dizziness. Let's just make sure we cover like all of the gamut of symptoms um, that keto flu might express as because I think there are a couple that are a little surprising. Yeah. And you know, the other one I'll just call it real quick as a a risk factor is someone that maybe is of a lower body weight and going keto Mm -hmm. because they don't have the body fat reserves where their body's like, wait, you want me to make ketones out of what? Right. Right. Where's the deep freeze? There isn't a deep freezer in your body. Um, And so that's where then sometimes we can see more stress from ketosis, especially in the individuals that are under eating with ketosis. So there is a fine line and that's really where I think working with a health practitioner that can give you a, you know, tested and tried protocol and uh, approach, not just a calculator, but a really deep dive approach of what works best for your body based on your stress, your exercise and your body composition. Yep. And those individuals, even though we say constantly on here, don't force feed the fat, that's if you have the deep freezer, but those individuals might actually need to add on some coconut oil or do a little bit more, you know, fat bombs and things like that in the beginning to transition. And I was thinking that for you specifically, Becky, because it's, um, I've worked with a lot of moms that are, you know, breastfeeding and now Noah's approaching eight months old and now eating a lot more volume. So by the 10 month old mark, it'll be even, you know, likely less breastfeeding output or whatnot, who knows. Um, but both the electrolyte and fluid stuff is even uh-huh. more dynamic uh-huh. because you're releasing breast milk, right? So there's that whole recalibration thing. And then I was going to say also your body's at this dance of, 
you need your milk bags, if you will. I remember always my uh, midwife like grabbing my thigh, which is like my most body conscious part of my body and being like, that's where your milk reserves are. Like you can't (laughs) let the milk reserves go. Um, But just saying out loud, you know, and so it's like when you're feeling that it might not just be salt, it might be you need a fat boost too, because your body's probably like, I don't think it's safe to take this, any of this storage because we're trying to make the milk. Um, and so it's that totally. calibration I've seen as well or, or output reduces. And so we do really work with moms that are breastfeeding and make sure that of course, first and foremost, they have ample production to feed and nourish baby and they're feeling their best and they're keeping their hormones balanced. Yeah, that's a really good point. I noticed that around day five to six of my recent 10 day detox with that my supply was dropping a little bit. And I was like, oh, I'm like eating all this volume of vegetable and, and you know, increased phyto compounds, but I didn't, you know, um, keep as much fat in the diet during yeah. the detox. And so I made some of the raw walnut fudge from back in the day that yeah. uses coconut oil. Um, and I just noticed I like needed more fat throughout those days. Mm-hmm. So like that's a candidate that would do well with fat bombs and kind of some of those right. old school approaches in our Eat Fat, Get Skinny ebook. Yep. Cool. Okay. So keto flu symptoms. So dizziness, headaches, heart palpitations, and those can be kind of the scariest, the heart palpitations, which really, I I feel very strongly the relax and regulate does the trick for that, but we'll we'll give you solutions in a moment. Nausea or um, changes in appetite, um, just a general feeling of yuck. So some people compare it hence the word keto flu, to like a flu-like symptom, just the body aches, overall lassitude. Um, We can see irritability within this. We can see fatigue, dizziness, muscle spasms, constipation, uh, cravings, uh, and I already mentioned nausea. GI GI ships, though, I think are, are big to note as well. All right, so we've talked about what symptoms of keto flu are and why some people might be more susceptible, as well as just this process of why keto flu happens in the first place. Let's now transition to talking about ways to deal with this. And I think we should start with water consumption, just kind of emphasize, hit this one home. Yes, so we often say in the world of detox, the solution to pollution is dilution. And do you like that? I do. Do you remember, I remember me? I used that to say that all the from, time. Yeah. The solution to pollution is dilution. Um, so, you know, we're thinking on both ends of the spectrum, both increasing the fluid because there is detox that occurs as well. I think that's the last thing that we didn't really yeah, even hit on. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, so that was just thinking, I was thinking about that when you were speaking, Becky. And so I think that the hydration is key because A, it does allow your body's lymphatic system and detoxification to be, you know, excretion. You're able to facilitate that conversion of blood into urine when you have better hydration status. Also that loss of water, like we said, with the glycogen fluid storage. Um, and, you know, that's the, the big impact of why we get a lot of the side effects. So getting at least half of your body weight in fluid ounces of water is really key. Um, and we're looking at, for instance, and this is in ounces again. So if you are 160 pounds, you know, we're looking at 80 fluid ounces a day minimum of your water goal. And I usually say also just two to three liters of fluid per day. And I pretty much get about 2.5, which is more than half of my body weight for sure. Uh, I do that 16 fluid ounces right off the bat in the morning when I'm taking my morning supplements. And you can count about 16 to 32 of your hydration goal 
if you're going over two liters, I'll say, right? Mm-hmm. That's the only fair way to do it. If you're only getting two liters, it has to all be water. But if you're going over two liters, 32 ounces of that could be tea, coffee, things like that, that you make with water. Um, but I always say to make sure that you're at least a liter and a half in by around noon is kind of a goal because you don't want to be peeing all night. And it is important to get that second liter in, you know, with that being said, before or at dinner time so that then you're really just sipping into the evening. Right, and still keeping your food, your food and water separate for the most part. Maybe you do a six to eight ounce glass, you know, just to kind of wet um, your palate uh, during dinner. But you don't want to be drinking during those meals either. So that you know, yeah, got to separate it because that dilutes not pollutants and toxins that dilutes your digestive enzymes and so then that makes your digestive system feel more taxed especially if you're eating more dense protein than typical in your transition into keto or higher fat meals you really need those digestive enzymes so yes water just to sip with food water drinking between meals and really trying to achieve that two liters by like 6 p.m i would say is a good goal Um, You know, the fluid is important because if you're losing as kind of the diuresis or diuretic effect of ketosis of that water release through the low carb approach and that glycogen storage kind of washing out of the body, that impacts your blood volume. So when we're talking about blood pressure change, also your fluid intake is a really important thing to be mindful of. So with low blood pressure, if we lose too much fluid, we're going to be more prone to low blood pressure and blood may not reach the brain fast enough. And this can drive some of the dizziness beyond the electrolyte piece. And also it can drive fatigue. You just Mm -hmm. feel kind of low and flat. And that's where some of that brain fog, when the brain gets dehydrated, like we talked about in our, or it's coming up, our detox episode on wine (laughs) and preventing a detox, that brain shrinkage can definitely actually be be seen by weight when water levels get too low and then along with that water obviously salt is something we want to be including so let's talk salt how much do we need and why do we need a little bit more when we're transitioning to real food keto yeah so uh i mentioned that while you bring up the water Again, you can over dilute your electrolytes, which you don't want to do. So you do want to ensure that you're proactive, especially starting with salt and then we'll get to magnesium. Um, you know, salt is upwards of one and a half tablespoons. So, you know, three teaspoons per tablespoon. So you could also say around, you know, five teaspoons daily. And it's really important also if you're following our food as medicine ketosis approach you're removing the salt from restaurants because you're likely not eating out as much or the processed snacks and foods. And so when you're eating all whole food recipes, you do want to actually proactively add salt after all the years of indoctrination of, you know, don't use the salt shaker. I want you using a quality mineral sea salt uh, with every meal and also in your snacks and, and to use pretty liberally in your cooking. And you may even with an exercise type day or a fasting day, really work to get about a half teaspoon, at least a quarter, upwards of a half teaspoon in to start your day right off the tank to get that sodium in your system. And and that can really help to give you good amount of energy. It can also offset a lot of the primary side effects because we see hyponatremia again, which is the clinical term for low sodium status, driving a lot of the overlapping symptoms of keto flu. So we can see nausea and vomiting, we can see headache, we can see confusion with severe low sodium status. So again, if you're kind of headachey and low energy, salt is like a whoop, really mm-hmm. quick pick me up. And I, I mean, throughout the entire process of keto, period, you know, regardless of 
keto flu. Um, we can experience kind of more brain fog and fatigue and restlessness, irritability, as well as neuromuscular issues. So we can see muscle weakness, spasms, cramps, and then severe low sodium um, can actually even drive things like seizure and coma. Okay. Um, and then our best choices here would be, like you said, the mineral salt. So we're not doing table salt um, for all of that yes. salt. We'd be doing either a Himalayan pink salt, a Celtic sea salt, or our favorite would probably be the Redmond real salt. And I love those little teeny shakers that they have as like a quick go-to option. In fact, I'm going to put one on my desk when I get home. Um, cause yeah, I feel like I always need about it, it midday. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially now transitioning a little bit lower carb and still breastfeeding, I need to put that on my desk. Yes. And so the Redmond real salt is a sea salt, but it is found in caves in Utah. And that means that the salt is from ancient seas. So we're not worried as much about the plastics and some of the pollutants that we see in our oceans being impacted. And there is upwards of 60 plus trace minerals. So that Redmond real salt is going to have, of course, the salt containing the sodium, but we're also going to get some calcium, magnesium, potassium, copper, iron, you know, 60 different trace elements. And so teaspoon by teaspoon, comparing something like a Redmond real salt with like an iodized table salt, you're not getting the caking agents from the table salt. You're not getting that synthetic iodine. You're also not going to be getting uh, the bleaching process. So a lot cleaner and a lot more nutrient rich and ultimately even lower sodium in concentration. All right. And even doing like the melt on sea salt or doing, um, seasoning blends that have sea salt in them. Um, like Gomasio, I never know how to say it. Um, but I think that might be close. Oh, like the seaweed, yeah, the, the, the like seaweed nori, nori that would add more like mm-hmm. mineral richness from the nori. I think that could be a really nice, you could touch. take a tablespoon of that probably and oh, yeah. crunch that down as yep. a snack. Yeah. Uh, I love doing the Maladon sea salt. I feel like I talk about this all the time, but I have to share it in this podcast in particular, Um, especially as I go into summer and someone who's kind of more of, I think I can call myself like a keto vet now, um, someone who lives in a keto lifestyle and has been doing it for years. And so I'm not my constitution, my body and where I'm at today doesn't really crave as much of those like fat bombs, like with like the cream cheese and the concentrated coconut oil and such. I really like doing, as I talked about in last week's uh, Mediterranean keto episode, that tablespoon or two of olive oil and then like a good half teaspoon to maybe even three quarters teaspoon of the flake salt. It's not as dense because of the large you know, shape of the flakes. And then just licking that uh, with my finger. It's delightful. It's like you get an energy surge. It feels good in your skin um, and it's just lighter. So like in the summers, I might do a fat fast using that to start my tank early and then just do like green tea with lemon and that kind of flows into the day. Awesome. All right. So Get your salt. Yeah, we'll um, link all our fave yeah. salts in the Amazon store. So make sure you check out the notes in the podcast. And you can also just Google Amazon store Allie Miller RD mm-hmm. and that'll pop it up. So you can always look in pantry staples is where we'll put most of those things. Yep. Um, and then I think our turmeric lemonade while we're on the topic of electrolyte and hydration support would be a really good tool as well. Yeah. So that provides, you know, lemon actually provides a good amount of potassium right away. And we're getting turmeric and ginger for both antioxidant and anti-inflammatory support. So that can help with some of those aches and headaches and things like that, as far as even the fatigue. 
Uh, and then we're getting that support with the turmeric lemonade to aid in detoxification. We know that turmeric can aid both phase one and phase two detox pathways, and the lemon is going to support that phase one activity, that bile flow. Uh, and then there is a pretty generous amount of sea salt in here as well. So it's a good electrolyte balance. It also is good detox support. Uh, and anytime you add a solute to water, so you could do that turmeric as the turmeric lemonade as a shooter. Or you could use a part of that batch and add that to, you know, 16, 20 fluid ounces of water. And if you wanted to go further and you were intensive workout, you could even add, you know, raw coconut water as a base of that to even get a little bit more electrolytes. Or you could do the coconut water at a separate time of the day. Uh, but just to note that when you add solute to water that aids in the hydration of your body. And so even doing infusions, so considering like cutting up strawberries and mint or you know basil and orange slices, all things to consider. Don't worry about those negligible carbs. You're not like juicing everything mm -hmm. into there. It's just an infusion if you're worried about those uh, residual carbs in the beginning. And then over time, as you get keto um, you know, adapted or fat adapted, you can liberate and actually consume some of those berries and such. Sure. That's a good point. I always get that question. Like, are you sure it's safe to put three <laughs> strawberries chopped in like all my water for the day or even less than that? Right. Um, and cucumber and mint would be something yep. that's like even less of a, a carbohydrate influence. Mm -hmm. Lemon and rosemary spray, yep. all sorts of fun stuff. And then, you know, like I said, the teas could work. And especially if it's a non-caffeinated tea, like rooibos would be really beautiful. Uh, I love the wild foods. Uh, thai G tea. I always talk about that. And going into summer, that with a lime slice is like super dreamy. Um, all of that would be a great way to kind of enhance both antioxidants and hydration status. Yeah, I did a lot of that iced and a lot of their, I don't, the immune support tea now. It used to be called something else. Curcuberry it yeah. used to be called. Yeah. Um, but a lot of that iced during oh, my detox. Oh, I love detox. that tea. Yeah, yeah so, so good great so you can use ally miller rd to save over at wildfoods.co <laughs> all right little accidental push there yep um and then back to um what we talked about in the ad space at the beginning of this podcast i think bone broth is a really yes. fantastic tool um that's such a great electrolyte support as well absolutely so you know you're definitely getting that salty goodness and then you are getting a, a decent amount of potassium with bone broth as well uh and then you know you can sip very easily on this. It's also very kind of calming and nourishing from that glycine. It's important to note the glycine in the bone broth not only aids in your body's conversion of fat into ketones, which is huge, not only also helps to produce glutathione, that master antioxidant, but glycine also aids in conversion of GABA in the brain. And GABA is that neuroinhibitory mellow out and so I think that if you're dealing with like the arrhythmias and some of just a little bit of like anxiety or um, overstressing on counting your carbs and such, the bone breath can be a really great way to also actually mellow you out while giving you that electrolyte boost. Yep. Um, and yeah, doing that as either a midday snack or like a nightcap kind of end of the evening, I think is a great tool. Yeah. Um, let's talk magnesium because I think that's another big one. We've hit sodium and mostly potassium so far for electrolytes. Yeah, and I have to say, even before providing food, that this is where kind of I get like mm, raising my eyebrow, non-negotiable on the relax and regulate. Yeah, yep. <laughs> you know, you might not need relax and regulate for the rest of your life. Um, I think I sure will. But, um, you know, this is the time transitioning into keto where, again, you're getting magnesium bisglycinate. 
that is so bioavailable as far as all the forms of the magnesium out there and the most neuromuscularly active. So this is the one that's going to help to regulate not only electrolyte imbalance, but also the headaches, the muscle cramps, the sleep disturbance, and the arrhythmia. So this is the one that really will provide you that insurance policy on the keto flu. And you could do anywhere between one to three scoops a day. So if you're starting to jump into keto, I'd probably for like at least five days, like I said, first off, I'd maybe consider doing the 10-day detox, but then I'd also preload my relax and regulate like almost a week. And then you might do two scoops for your first five to seven days into keto. And then you can always tighter it back down per need. Yeah, I feel like that's the answer to like most questions in our keto group, like the first two weeks. It's like, are you taking relax and regulate? Um, Because it can be helpful for so many things from the muscle cramps that we sometimes see to that like 3 to 4 a.m. wake time, um, even constipation and kind of the bowel shifts as well. Absolutely. And then with that glycine component, we get that anxiety reduction and also the um, support for body fat metabolism, which aids in making ketones. Again, it's this intermediary place where the body's not really efficient at making ketones. And so when you give it a boost of that glycine, it does its job better. And then we also get the uh, glycine, magnesium bisglycinate crossing the blood-brain barrier and blocking the pituitary from stimulating cortisol. So you do get that chill, relax, and that's not even mentioning the myo-inositol that's in the formula too. So relax and regulate is bay for keto flu prevention. Um, on magnesium in the food world, uh, we absolutely look at greens as a good source. That's why our protocol has two to three cups of leafy greens every single day. Uh, Cocao, so raw cacao nibs or um, you know dark chocolate could be another great source, and nuts and seeds tend to be another go-to. But really important to not overlook the magnesium. I mean, there's over 300 different enzyme actions that the body requires this, and you will feel it if you're deficient, and most Americans already are. Okay, and then the next world of things I would say would be um, things that can help us to uh, boost our ketone production can also be helpful in mitigating some of this keto flu symptoms. So as I mentioned with the breastfeeding example, and and Allie kind of talked us through an example of um, needing to do more like fat bombs um, if you are someone who is a lower percent body fat. Um, So using something like coconut oil potentially. Yeah, well, coconut oil, especially because the MCT in there. um, So of all the fats, if you are of a lower body fat or just not having a lot of body fat to lose if you don't have more than 30 pounds of body fat to lose transitioning into keto i would definitely suggest incorporating at least a tablespoon daily of coconut oil Um, and so you know one to two tablespoons daily is a really good way to get through you can incorporate in your cooking you can put it into your morning coffee or tea blended Um, i generally say not more than a tablespoon of fat in your fat fuel beverage to start but Um, At this time, you could do even those concentrated fat bombs. And so like the walnut fudge has the blended Mm -hmm. coconut oil, I think a cup in the recipe. Yeah, it's a solid, it's either a half cup or a cup. I think it's a cup. Okay. And I think it's like three cups of walnuts, Mm -hmm. one cup of coconut oil or something like that. And so it has the blended walnuts, two for fat. Um, But that's a really great, delicious way to get it in. And you can put that delightful coarse salt on the top Uh of it. Oh, yeah. We'll post that recipe as a throwback this week when we release the podcast. I think that'd be good to do. Um, Cool. So the MCT and the coconut oil uh, can actually cross through 
when we're looking at the conversion, we think of the carnitine synthase shuttle and um, the conversion of fat into ketones requires that pathway. And so the MCT and in the coconut oil actually passes that and goes right into the mitochondria and can, can start to support that energy production intracellularly and also can directly aid in ketone support. With that being said, I generally go for, for coconut oil, the extra virgin coconut oil, as the best choice as opposed to MCT oil. The reason for that is it's more of a whole food. There are a lot of health supporting properties in coconut oil, a lot of antiviral effects, a lot of um, antifungal effects, so supportive for gut health. And then um, what else is the big thing there? I also have seen the MCT oil, especially people that are just squirting it into their coffee, uh-huh. driving loose stools, yeah. um, less bowel tolerance, I'll say. Um, so I really do like to start with the, the whole food coconut oil first. Yep. And if you're really struggling with ketone production, you could do a combination where you yeah. do like, you know, a teaspoon of, of MCT and two teaspoons of coconut oil or kind of a combo like that. Yeah. I definitely wouldn't go over one tablespoon of MCT oil daily. Nope. You're not going to have a good time bowel-wise <laughs> with that. Nope. Um, and then boost and burn would be another thing in this world of ketone production. Um, so if you're, you know, transitioning and just not seeing that you're making ketones on your meter or really feeling that keto flu dragginess, I think this is a great tool. Totally, because unlike the coconut oil or MCT that doesn't require the carnitine synthase metabolism, we do require carnitine to convert your body fat into ketones, and we require carnitine to turn any non-MCT fat. So that includes olive oil, other forms of saturated fats, and so forth. So the fats in your meat and the fats in your butter and all those choices, um, the avocado, the nuts and seeds, we require carnitine. And so we do see very often individuals that have been doing ketosis for a period of time start to become deficient in carnitine. And when they bring in our boost and burn, which has two grams, so 2,000 milligrams of carnitine per teaspoon, they start to see that transition from that glucose burning to ketone producing. And the more supportive uh, environment that you can give your body biochemically to make ketones, so giving it that boost of the L-carnitine and the D-ribose, and there's also pantothenate in the boost and burn, that's giving you the tools to aid that production of ketosis or ketones to be in a state of ketosis. And I just want to call it at this juncture that we are much bigger fans of doing the boost and burn or L-carnitine over exogenous ketones. So you might hear of products out there that use what's called BHB or beta-hydroxybutyrate. That's known as an exogenous ketone or um, what are some of the companies? not to brand bash, but just like um, prove it is like an exogenous yeah, ketone one, that right? One. That's like the MLM one. Um, but there's a lot out there. Clearly we don't use A lot of things that are like shakes for like keto <laughs> yeah, or whatever. Yeah. They're going to have BHB in it. And yes, you'll see if you test your blood, you'll see ketones in your blood. It'll bring your ketones up. I'm using air quotes here. Or if you're testing your urine strips, you're going to see your ketones going up. But that doesn't mean that your body is effectively burning body fat as fuel. So yes, we have seen in some tests that the exogenous ketones can help with brain function, but we'd rather you take the L-carnitine so when we see your ketones go up, we know that that's from your body making ketones out of what you're consuming or what you have on your body, your own body fat, versus just seeing you're taking ketones and that's what's circulating through your body. So, you know, the exogenous ketones don't teach your body metabolically to do the work. 
the boost and burn gives you the tools to do the process. Yep. And then kind of later down the line, I would say like boost and burn and doing coconut oil first. But another world that we talk about um, with ketone production is low DHEA or adrenal fatigue. So I think sometimes those individuals will experience keto flu, you know, with low DHEA too. Yeah. And, and that's where then I think that it would be a good idea, especially if you have any indication from taking functional quizzes or you have had history of low cortisol or uh, extended period of recent stress, <laughs> who hasn't recently, and then, or no knowledge of low DHEA, you know, um, I would definitely recommend the adrenal support, which is the glandular tablet in our line that uses bovine adrenal compound. And um, that's going to help with both the regulation of the adrenals, um, the cortisol, the aldosterone, which regulates the sodium, that's the hormone that does that, as well as the DHEA. And then if you know you have clinically low DHEA, you should likely supplement with DHEA and then you do have to actively test because excessive DHEA can cause a lot of drama like hair loss, hair thinning. Um, we can see excitatory neurotransmitter response, um, you know, body hair growth where it doesn't belong in men. They can see loss of hair, you know, so. regular periods would be a big one for women. Yeah. Uh, feeling like the incredible Hulk. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not good. Too much. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you won't see that likely with the adrenal support. Um, so that one would be safe without getting those clinical assessments. Right. Um, and I just want to circle back on food support. Um, we actually have a video on coping with keto flu where we talk through all this much more condensed. If y'all want to check that out, I'll put the link in the show note show notes. Um, and we also make our little avocado snack. So this is half an avocado with the juice of a lime and, um, at least half a teaspoon of salt. And then you can add some like pumpkin seeds on there or a drizzle of quality olive oil if you're needing more fat in your day. But this is like the go-to for potassium. Bacon for another potassium yep. boost. You can always eat extra slices of bacon to start or top that on your avocado. I think that that's a good thing too. And uh -huh. yeah, in the YouTube video, we'll link it. I think you can also just Google Allie Miller RD or Naturally Nourished YouTube uh, Keto Flu. And uh, on there, we also suggest, right, like so for L-carnitine, the food sources we think of are red meat and so forth. Yeah. All right. Let's transition to listener questions. And we're going to do a few of these rapid fire. Um, this one hits on today's topic. So I'll do this one first. Yes. Um, is there an electrolyte product that you recommend? What should I look for and what should I avoid? Okay. And you guys, I'm answering rapid fire. So here we go. Yeah. I'm going to try my hardest. <laughs> uh, so I will link also, these are found on the Allie Miller RD Amazon store, light show and light balance. Uh, the things to look for are not avoiding non-caloric sweeteners, of course, not sugar. You don't want fructose in your electrolyte product like Gatorade would have. Um, you also don't want non-caloric sweeteners like monk fruit, stevia, and erythritol or others. You want to avoid natural flavors. Both Light Show and Light Balance are flavorless. I'm familiar with Light Show, not yep. the Light Balance. Yeah, okay. they're both, um, that's the one you had a sample of and gave to me, and I've tried it. Got so, it. Um, yeah. I actually have used an entire bottle of it now breastfeeding. It's just, you need a lot more electrolyte support. Um, and that one is flavorless as well. It just tastes salty. salty. Um, and what I notice is it starts to taste more salty, kind of the more repleted I am. Um, so to taste, yep. Mm -hmm. Um, really to taste. So that's what they say to do is like one capful, try your water. If you don't really notice anything, you might need more. And then two capfuls might feel, you know, adequate. 
And if you're not enjoying it that way diluted, you can always do it as a shooter once yep. you kind of figure out where you need to be. Um, so those are the best. And then honestly, the other electrolyte products that I like are pickle juice. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> pickle juice is great. Uh, it's a great way to also get some probiotics in. All right. What do I do if I'm just not hungry on keto? So it would depend on your metabolic state and your body composition and your goals. If you are looking to lose weight, it would be reasonable to not eat. Uh, you know, again, at what level, how much? You know, I, I generally recommend getting one meal at least and a protein shake over just an OMAD model. So one thing would be if you aren't meeting your minimum macros of protein intake, incorporating a protein shake with grass-fed whey because that requires less chew, you know, especially if you get like a thick glass straw like I like to use, you can suck it down pretty quick. And that's a way to add in your leafy greens, um, some ginger, you know, so you can get a lot of health supporting nutrients without maybe having a large appetite, not like eating a big salad and having to chew and swallow. And then you could do one dense meal. Um, If you're not hungry and you're not meeting your macros and you're underweight, then I would say, you know, we might want to incorporate more concentrated fats. So like in your protein shake, you could use all full fat coconut milk versus diluting it with water and then you'd want to bring in like the nut butters and such as well all right how important is it to count macros i find it overwhelming well you must join our 12-week fitness medicine keto class (laughs) because i swear we break it down very clear for you guys uh yeah you do unfortunately have to count macros you don't have to be married to your macros but you have to understand what's going in your body to determine what is or is not supporting your results. So unfortunately, that's my only answer there. Yeah. And we always say, you know, you're counting tighter at first and then you can liberate because you do gain an understanding of portion size and kind of what works for you. So it's not a forever thing, I don't think, but even clients who've been doing keto a long time, I often will have them just audit like a random three days and send that to me to kind of look at because things can sneak in and vary. Absolutely. So you can always do it reflective if it overwhelms you or planning forward. Yep. So on Sunday night, you could put in your Monday and Tuesday of what you plan to eat. Just spend, you know, 30 minutes and check it out and then see how things look because you don't know what macros work for you if you don't know what your macros are based on you're not tracking what you're eating. Yep. You're doing good at the rapid fire. I'm trying. (laughs) (laughs) If I'm in ketosis, should I intermittent fast or not? Goals are weight loss and blood sugar control. So if you're in ketosis, fasting is a lot easier. And that's a great point for this person who asked the question. Uh, Keto flu will be a lot worse if you are not fat adapted, you're not making ketones, and you try to fast as well. Because Uh then you are low fuel, low calorie, added into the blood sugar dips and all that stuff and the hydration status change. So if you are in ketosis and your goals are weight loss and blood sugar control, absolutely you should intermittent fast. In fact, if we want weight loss more than 20 pounds, we probably want to do a pure fast. Um, We might want to do a bone broth fast to support body fat loss if we're not seeing results. Uh, But I would say at least a 16-hour, if not an 18-hour intermittent fast. And fasting is the most aggressive way of getting your blood sugar down by bringing your insulin levels down. All right. What's another way to tell you're in ketosis other than those pee sticks? (laughs) Other than those pee sticks, you can do a keto meter, like a glucometer, where you use sticks that test for ketones in your blood. That I like the most as far as accuracy is concerned. Uh, You can also do, there are keto breath tests out there. And then you can use a CGM to look at your blood sugar metabolism that's not going to tell you 
if you are producing ketones and to what level that would require though like a keto mojo meter uh, we can put a link in the show notes which uh, has a little discount code for the blood meter all right will do let's see if satisfied after eating one nutrient dense meal is it necessary to eat more for weight loss so I think I kind of answered that with the person that wasn't hungry. Yeah. Um, I think that a couple times a week to get in what's called an OMOD, which is a one meal a day approach, yes, that could be reasonable. Generally speaking, though, it is very difficult to assimilate or actually absorb and use the nutrients that our body needs one meal a day. I think it can be digestively taxing. And when we're talking about meeting our minimum protein grams per day, I want most people to get upwards of 1.4 if not more grams of protein per kilogram and so if they are sitting at a goal of 75 to 95 grams of protein we're talking about you know 12 ounces of protein which is a lot at one sitting i mean i might house eight i might hit 10 on a really delightful ribeye (laughs) but i think 12 on a daily basis is going to be really taxing for the gi tract Uh, You would definitely want to bring in digest aid to help on a chemical enzymatic level to break things down. Um, But I generally like to say, if you're not hungry again, that's where you would do a protein shake. So you could nail 30 grams of protein in your shake. Um, You could keep it light and you could keep that a 225 calorie shake and then, you know, a 600 calorie meal still being a really nice calorie deficit, but at least your protein is broken. So you only need to get 60 grams or even 50 at that meal with that 30 in that shake and that's going to be a lot more of a, I think a reasonable chunk if you will to, to bite off an eight ounce portion of protein at that chewable meal yep all right why do I not feel ketophoria like others in ketosis focus energy etc so I think the big thing there that Becky kind of um pre uh teased is DHEA. So DHEA is a steroid hormone made by the adrenals. And for individuals that are under high stress or history of stress or just the aging process, we burn out on our DHEA production. Um, So you might get that level tested in the blood. You'd want your DHEA sulfate or DHEAS, not just your DHEA, um, to get a good indication of where you're at. Also, our Neurohormone Complete Plus panel tests both the cortisol and the DHEA as well as your sex hormone. So that would be a really great thing to consider if you're not feeling that ketophoria because it could also be um, really insufficient cortisol levels and you're just in a chronic fatigue space. And so we would need, you know, both that adrenal support glandular. If clinically low in DHEA, we'd bring in DHEA as well. Um, And then with taking DHEA, like I said, you do want to test at least um, you know the first three months of use and then kind of semi-annually because you may need to adjust your dosage. Uh, but with the adrenal support, you know, you'd be looking at like two to three tablets a day, maybe rise midday, uh, rise mid-morning and lunch or rise lunch mid-afternoon. And the adaptogen boost would be key too. Um, and the last thing I would say is for this person, do you know that you're making ketones? Because otherwise that could be that you mm-hmm. need the boost and burn with that carnitine and that might be why you're burning out. You're not getting that ketone production because you're lacking that nutrient of need. Totally. That was, I was going to add that. Good job. Um, and last one, we've kind of hit on this a little bit, but any additional tips for adrenal fatigue and fasting with keto? So here's the thing. You don't burn out your adrenals from carbohydrate restriction, which nutritional ketosis, ketosis is a metabolic state. It's, 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 
achieved by restricting carbohydrates to a level that your body has to produce ketones as a secondary energy substrate to glucose, right? So this metabolic state and that process of making ketones and reducing carb intake does not exacerbate adrenal fatigue. What does drive adrenal fatigue is excessive stress, inadequate sleep, um, prolonged calorie restriction, and that's where kind of the fasting gets tricky, um, and then excessive caffeine intake, which burns out the adrenals, which many people do if they're tired all the time, or if they're doing these fat-fueled coffees as techniques to boost their ketones, then they're drinking more coffee maybe throughout the day. So I think that there are lifestyle elements that are associated with nutritional ketosis, namely the fact that A, Ketosis itself is hormetic. It is somewhat of a stressor for our body, which is why we say for the first two weeks, just let the diet take the lead. Don't take on a new project at work. Don't start CrossFit. You know, we said that early in the beginning of this episode. So allowing stress management, supporting with adaptogens, like the adaptogen boost, maybe leveling in the calm and clear if we're in that fight or flight mode, all really important so the body feels safe to produce ketones. And then the big thing is don't over um, restrict your calorie intake because that's where then the body doesn't feel safe. It starts to feel food insecure. And that's where then we see cortisol going up, epinephrine going up, and your reverse T3 going up. And then you're having a thyroid and adrenal issue as well. So um, I would say if you have known adrenal fatigue, you need the adrenal support uh, supplement as the glandular. You definitely would want to layer in the adaptogen boost. You want to second think your exercise, make sure you're sleeping, and um, maybe check in on that Neurohormone Complete Plus panel to get a good assessment level of what phase of adrenal fatigue you're at based on your cortisol trends. Check in on that DHEA. And um, the fasting, I would say, for adrenal fatigue, especially if not more than 50 pounds weight loss, I'd be more conservative in that world, um, would be at least a little bit of fat because you do need fat to make all hormone, including those adrenal hormones. Yes, and maybe you keep your fast to more like 14 hours versus the yes. 16 to 18. And do salt during your fast. Fasted window. Um, so yes. licking salt, putting it in your fasted beverage would totally work. Um, any of those techniques that we mentioned for getting extra salt in. Absolutely. Yep. Awesome. So thank you for listening to this episode of the Naturally Nourished podcast, kind of jam-packed there in the end. So everyone can take a deep breath and pop a gab calm and get outside now and kind of mentally absorb all of this. Again, if our approach to keto sounds good and feels good and resonates with you, please go on over to AllieMillerRD.com slash ketosis hyphen class. This round is going to be pure magic and you definitely want to be a part of it. It is one of the best ways to really feel empowered again in your body. And one of my favorite testimonials to date um, is I feel like myself again. And I know a lot of us kind of find ourselves kind of hanging on the bumper of the vehicle of our body, just being dragged through life. And this is a way to really pause and really think of your membrane of protecting yourself, nourishing yourself, focusing on self-care with tangible goals um, and tools throughout the way to tailor this specific to your body's needs to feel the best you can feel. So I hope you'll join us on May 5th, um, AllieMillerRD slash ketosis hyphen class. And then also, if you love today's episode, go on over to iTunes or wherever you're listening. Give us a five-star review and a sentence or two on why you love the show. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. 
connect with Allie and Becky at Allie Miller RD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.